Thank you so much for joining us today on YouTube. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button down below so you can stay up to date with all that Church on the Hill has going on. If you haven't already, also follow us on social media, either Instagram or Facebook, both Church on the Hill and our senior pastor, Pastor Adam McCain. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the message. We've been in this series titled The God of Miracles, and it has been magnificent. Have you gotten in touch? Say yes. Come on, isn't that so good? And if you've missed these teachings, you need to go back and get them. We've been looking at how the God that we serve wants to be in such a relationship with us that we begin to believe him to be who he is, the God of miracles. And that in those places where we've lost hope and confidence and faith that he can do a miracle, that we begin to stir that place, that place of hardness in our heart, and let God begin to drop seeds of confidence again. In fact, that has been the whole goal of this series. That's why we've gone on and on. I think we're going to end up doing almost 12 weeks in this series, which I never do, because I wanted you to know that in this era of time, if the last nine months hadn't proven anything to you, it's got to, it's got to awaken you to the fact that this stuff is wrapping up. This whole world is wrapping up. And we better be, we better in, be in divine relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who can bring us through no matter what happens. He will hold us and care for us and bring miracles into our life. Are you there? Say yes. In fact, our key scripture for the whole series has been in Mark chapter 10 and verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God. Say it with me. For with God, all things are possible. Try it again. For with God, all things are possible. Put it in the chat box. For with God, all things are possible. It's impossible in the current, in the current climate to have a multiracial church. But with God, all things are possible. It's impossible to put older folks and younger folks in a room and let Jesus be the Lord of their life with men. But with God, all things are possible. And he's doing it right now. It's impossible to survive cancer. But with God, all things are possible. And we are seeing cancer go in remission over these last few weeks. We've seen supernaturally cars be pushed out the way instead of head-on collisions happening. We're seeing miracles after miracles after miracles because we're believing in who he is. He is the God of miracles. We've studied how he, how he miraculously speaks to us. He speaks to us in dreams sometimes just because he's got to shut us up long enough to talk to us. We, so, so we, we studied about demons and angels and that whole process back and forth in the spirit realm versus the natural realm and how God can teach us how to move in the supernatural as we understand spiritual things. And then today, today our topic is going to be, he is the God who helps us with miraculous friendships. Would you say that with me? Miraculous friendships. Turn to that person next to you and say, you my friend. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17 is our key verse here. Would you open your Bible to that with me? Proverbs 17 and 17. It says, a friend loves sometimes. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. I read again, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. At all times. In good times, a friend still loves. In bad times, a friend still loves. A friend loves you and is there for you when you need a little bit of support. A friend is the person who's there in the time where you need a little bit of encouragement. A friend is the person who's there at, at that time where you need a, a punch in, the, in your spiritual face because you've been a jerk. A friend 
at all times. And then it goes on and says, and a brother is born for adversity. It's not talking about blood brothers, not talking about siblings. It's talking about the brotherhood, the sisterhood, that, that, that friend that's a brother, that, that sister who's a sister. You know what I mean? That, that friend who's a sister. He says they're born for adversity. Do you catch that? Born for adversity. In other words, in his pre-understanding, in his godness, he is able to say, I'm going to put this person alive on the planet during this time because this person over here is going to need them when they go through this over here. He literally has given life to somebody that's going to be beside you when you go through adversity. God has preordained it and set that thing into motion for you. There is a brother that is born, was brought into life for adversity that you and I are going to go through as well. We were given life to be beside those. And when they go through their adversity, this is the friendship miracles that God wants you to understand. And in today's teaching, my goal is that you walk away with a couple understandings. First and foremost, God made you to have friendships. He made you to have friendships. In fact, one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that you can do this thing by yourself. You don't need nobody. Everybody who's hurt you can just go and die. You don't need them. All you need is Jesus. That's not true. The Bible, in fact, if you'll study it all the way through many, many times like I have, you'll find that the Bible is summarized in two big thoughts. How do we love and be in relationship with the living God? And how do we love and be in relationship with each other? That's everything in the Bible is all about that. When you study it all the way out, you'll find every theme, every piece of it is how do you love God better? How do you, how do you be in relationship with the living God? And how are you in relationship with one another? That's the whole crutch of every bit of what the word of God teaches us. How to be in relationship with him and how to be in relationship with each other. We need each other. We need friends. Are you there today? Say yes. Now, I thought about how fun many of you are. So all of you are a little different. We're all different in how we relate to each other. We're all different in how we are friends to others and type of friends that we have. And I thought today, if you wouldn't mind, I would like to connect your style of friendship to the canine world. And maybe you can find a canine that's like you when it comes to friendships. And so I'll start with the first one, and that is the Labrador. Some of you are like Labradors. Everybody is your best friend. Everybody is your best. And your best friend at that moment is whoever has snacks in their hand right then. I mean, that's your best friend. Whoever has a snack. Everybody's your best friend. But whoever's got the snacks right now, that's my best, best friend right now. That's some of you. And other of you are like the blue healer. The blue healer. Now, the blue healer is that animal that only has one friend. They got one, maybe two at the most. If you've ever known anybody who owned a blue healer, that blue healer was so loyal and so intent on their, on their friend, on their, on their, you know, their, you know, their owner, whatever you want to call it. They loved them so much, but they didn't like anybody else. I had a friend who had a blue healer. When you go over there, try to be nice to him, he just look at you like, I will kill you. I will kill you. In fact, the closer I got, to his owner, his master, the more he hated me. And that's the kind of some of you guys, you got one friend for life and anyone gets close to him, I will cut you, I will kill you. Nobody can have him but me. <laughs> You're deeply and fiercely loyal. That's some of you. Others of you are like this one right here. Put this picture up. Some of you are this dog. You are a pit bull type of friend. You get a bad rap. You're really not that mean. I mean, you really are. You got niceness in you somewhere. And, uh, and so you, you don't have a lot of friends um, because all of us know if we're going to be your friend at some point, you're going to bite us. That's just going to, it's going to happen. You can't stop it. It's just who you are. Some of you are pit bulls. And then some of you are this type. You're like a Rottweiler, a Rottweiler. You are big 
and beautiful and majestic and powerful and scary and intimidating. And when we look at you across the room, you look like, and no one wants to get close to you, but they just don't know if they would ever come up to you, if they could ever get past the front that you put on, that you're the most tenderhearted and you're the sweetest and you're the kindest and you're the most loyal friend they could ever, and you will protect them. You will be there for, and you will work with them. In fact, this bread, this dog was, is a German breed and it was actually bred to work. It's a working dog. It would pull the carts in and out of, you know, as they would go to uh, uh, work, you know, they would pull these carts in, 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 in middle, uh, middle ages in those times. And that dog was bred to be a workhorse. And some of you like that. You work hard. You work hard for your friendships. And boy, you're just so funny. But when we first look at you, your first, your first engagement with us is scary. You're, you're, just, you're just huge and you're mean. Like Pastor Tony always told me, he said, you know, Pastor Adam, everybody needs a big black friend in their life. And I appreciate that. And, that, and, and, and every one of us have a different style. And then some of you are like this dog breed right here. You are like, the Chihuahua. That's your friend style. You are like the Chihuahua. You have more swag than any person should ever possess. In fact, you think that you are the sexiest thing on the planet. And the rest of us had no right to even be your friend, but you will allow it here and there. You're more like a cat than you are a dog, quite frankly, if I could just be honest with you. And, uh, and yet, and yet when you look in the mirror as a chihuahua, what you really see is a Rottweiler. You think you're the most powerful being on the planet and you will put up with us as your friend simply because there's things that you can, we can give you that you need in your life. And that's what I love about a chihuahua. They got so much swag, but we all have to pick you up and carry you all throughout the day. So it's just part of it. So no matter what your friendship style is, and you're not limited to it. That's my big teach for you today. You're not limited to it. God wants to increase your friendship circles. God wants to give you miraculous friendships. And in that, I want to teach you today about one of the most noteworthy friendships in scripture. I want to look at the miraculous things that happen because of divine relationships, relationships that God will send to you, relationships you, you might not even want to be in, but they're sent by God to help you, to advance you, to challenge you, to punch you in your spiritual face, you need these kind of friendships, these kind of relationships. Are you there today? Say yes. So let's study this wonderful friendship between a man by the name of Paul and a man by the name of Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. So if I could just give you a little backstory here. Paul, as we know him in the Holy Scriptures, he is the guy who is considered probably one of the greatest apostles of all the apostles. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Without Paul, there is no 1 Corinthians. There is no 2 Corinthians or Galatians or Romans or Ephesians. The books of the Bible that solidify our theology, that help us understand who God is and how he relates to humanity without the Apostle Paul. But let me give you the backstory on Apostle Paul. See, he grew up a good Jewish boy. And in Jesus' time, he was very radical. And he joined the Pharisee sect. And he was studying after the, under the chief rabbi called Gamaliel. And Paul, as a, or as known early in scripture as Saul by his Hebrew name, and then Paul by his Greek name later, but we'll call him Paul. And so and we'll go by his Greek name, Paul. So Paul studies and he becomes a Pharisee of Pharisees. And in the midst of his studying and coming to, if you will, adulthood, there is this movement that happens called the way or Christianity as we know it. Now, being a good Jewish boy, he did not believe the Messiah had come yet. 
In fact, he believed the followers of Jesus had been stooped, if you would. They had been, they had been tricked. There, there was no, Jesus was not the Messiah. He was a fake. And so Saul, Paul, as we know him, he did not give into it. In fact, he got so angry that these Christians were dividing Judaism and pulling Jews away from the one true God to follow some crazy dude named Jesus who already has been killed, who's already been crucified. And so he began to go put him in jail. He began to make false accusations against him. In fact, in fact, he began to help cause him to be murdered. And he calls himself a great murderer of the way early on. And on his way, on a journey to Damascus, a city called Damascus, all of a sudden he has this encounter with Jesus. Jesus knocks him down on the ground. A great light shines out of the heavens in the middle of the day. A sun bright light comes in the midst of the sunshine, knocks him on his backside and begins to speak to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? Can you imagine into the sky? Who is it? Who, who is the God of heaven? And he says, I'm Jesus who you keep persecuting. And in that moment, Saul, Paul, puts his faith in Jesus and recognizes he's been wrong the whole time that Jesus was the Messiah, the one promised by God that he would send his son to redeem humanity. And from that point forward, what he was a champion against Christianity, he now becomes the great champion of Christianity. And in the city of Damascus, he goes over to the synagogue to all his buddies and starts telling them, guess what? We were wrong. Jesus was the Messiah. And he starts debating with him. He says, look what Isaiah says. See, Isaiah was pointing to him. I missed it. I, I, I don't know how I missed it. And we missed it. Guys, come on. Let's give our lives to Jesus. And they begin to get angry with him, angry to the point where they attempted to kill him and murder him. The brothers, those who had believed in Jesus in Damascus, got him out of the city. And as he says in Galatians, he goes out into Arabia. And Paul goes out into this area of the wilderness and he basically is alone. And people contemplate what, is, what, what was he doing? Scholars back and forth. And I believe personally he was getting his doctrine straight. Like I, if, this, if Jesus is the Messiah, why does everybody not want him? I don't understand. And, and he's having this for three years, this engagement and isolation with Jesus and, and, and learning of the Lord. And then the Bible says that he goes to present himself to the church that was in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem had kind of become the, the staple, the mega church, the place of which kind of like ground zero where Christianity hit and exploded. And the church there in Jerusalem was probably 30, 40, 50,000 people. And, and so he goes to present himself to the leaders of the church. And let's pick up there, if you will, in Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. It says, and when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Everybody say afraid. They were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, everybody say, but Barnabas. Say it again, say, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He said, oh no, they won't let you in the building. Come here, buddy, let's go. And he takes them to the pastors in the back in the green room and says to them, this dude is legit. And he brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem. So they accepted him like, oh, okay, well, if Barnabas says you legit, you're legit. If Barnabas says you're the real deal, then we're going to believe it. Because you got to understand, they don't know. They haven't seen him in three years. Last they knew, he was on his way to kill Christians in Damascus. They're sending text messages. That dude is on his way. Y'all better hide. Y'all better get out of Dodge. And all of a sudden, three years later, they've not heard a word about him. And he shows up saying, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let us worship the Lord together. And they're like, uh-huh, we know what you are. You, you, you've been out, you've been out in the wilderness. You've been doing something trying to figure out how to get us and kill us. And no, sir, you've been in some kind of, you know, underground training on how to infiltrate. Uh-uh, no, you will not, Al-Qaeda. You're not coming up in her. And they said, that's not going to happen. 
And so Barnabas said, hold on just a second. And he takes him to the leaders in charge, to the apostles, and said, this guy's the real deal. You take Barnabas out of the equation, and that man's still sitting at the front door trying to get in. You take Barnabas out of the equation, and there is no 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians or Ephesians or Philippians. You take Barnabas out of the equation, and the gospel that came to us as Gentiles would not have happened. Barnabas is this miraculous friendship moment that happens, and Barnabas doesn't really know him that well. He may have been in Damascus, but it doesn't anywhere does it share that they're best friends, that they've been hanging out together. It was a divine friendship relationship that obviously began to cultivate. So he begins to preach in Jerusalem. Boy, he goes in the synagogue and they, they believe me because I really am a Christian. He starts preaching, preaching, preaching. It happens again. Just like in Damascus, all the Jewish guys, like, no, you will not. All the Jewish leaders, they begin to plot to murder him. And let's pick up there, if you will, in verse 28. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to, what? Kill him. They tried to kill him. Verse 30, when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. When they learned that he was going to get killed, they took him out of his position. He's no longer as a chief evangelist. They pulled him away and they sent him on a boat to Tarsus where he was originally from. In fact, I believe as I study the life of the Apostle Paul and the scriptures, that the Apostle Paul was one of those type A personalities. That guy, you know that guy at work or that guy in your family that everything is debate. Everything they talk about, you just want to punch them. Like they're always creating conflict. They just create it. You're like, would you just shut up? I don't care. I just don't care. Chocolate, vanilla, it doesn't matter. Ice cream, just get the ice cream. No, no, here's this, that, this, that. That's the apostle Paul. That's God made him to defend the faith, to argue the points. God made him that way, but boy, he is not a fun person to hang out with. You do not want to bring him to Christmas. I'm just telling you right now, this guy is tough personality. He's always sending emails, always posting on social media. It's always controversial. It's always in your face. It's, he's always right. He's that personality. In fact, I'm so convinced of it that it says after they send him off to Tarsus, would you look at the very next verse? verse 31 of Acts chapter 9 then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace now maybe it wasn't because of him but it really is pretty neat that right after that it says it was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit it grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord it's so hilarious where does he go he goes for his, he goes for the next seven years to Tarsus we have no idea what he does I believe personally that's where he starts built, making tents. He doesn't have a job. He's not in the ministry. He's just, just making tents. In the midst of those seven years, something happens. Persecution comes to Jerusalem. The Christians scatter. They, they just take off. They, they go all different cities. And there's a group of them that went down to an area called Antioch, a city called Antioch. And they began to preach and minister, and people begin to get saved. Even Greeks, non-Jews get saved. Gentiles, if you will, begin to get saved. And there's this miraculous revival happening. So they send back word to the Jerusalem leadership. Hey, we got revival happening over here in Antioch. We don't know what to do. We're not apostles. We're not, we're not pastors and leaders. We just love Jesus. And, and they said, well, let's send Barnabas. So they send Barnabas down there. Barnabas begins ministering and teaching. He looks up and he goes, you know what I need? You know what this church needs? We need Paul. And the Bible says that he goes and he looks for Paul. He looks for him in Tarsus till he finds him. And he says, hey, would you come help me? Paul says, yeah, let's do it. I got no, I'm just making tents. Let's go. Goes and he begins to minister in the church at Antioch. And it's the first time that Christians are called Christians right there in Antioch. It's this explosive revival thing. 
And over the next however many months, year, whatever, God moves supernatural at Antioch through Paul and Barnabas. And then God says, separate out Paul and Barnabas. I need them to go do this all over the place. I need them to go birth churches all over the place. And Paul and Barnabas begin to travel and minister. I want you to know, there are no miracles. There are no Eutychuses raised from the dead. There's no church plants and missionary journeys for Apostle Paul without Barnabas. Barnabas was the divine relational connect to not only getting accepted by the church who feared him, but also then to bring him into ministry to help him because he was gifted and called, but nobody believed in him. In fact, he was so argumentative and so difficult of a personality that they basically dropped him in Tarsus and said, we'll call you when we need you. And seven years later, nobody's called. Barnabas goes and gets him, engages him. By that time, he's probably softened. By that time, he's probably humbled. He's probably gotten in a place like, look, I don't care. I just want to love people. I just want, I want I just want to fulfill purpose in Jesus. And so they start ministering in Antioch. And then the Holy Spirit says, now, even greater works. I want you traveling around the world, ministering the, the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, this relationship is critical because if this relationship doesn't happen, the church doesn't accept Paul. If the relationship doesn't happen, he doesn't end up in Antioch. If the relationship doesn't happen and he doesn't, and he pushes uh, Barnabas away and says, you know, they rejected me in Jerusalem. They were mean to me and they sent me away. Da, 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 da. I don't even want anything to do with all that. If he doesn't receive Barnabas reaching back out to him, this divine friendship, then guess what? It all stops right there and it never moves forward. And you and I do not get the gospel because we're Gentiles, not Jews. God would have raised up someone else, surely. But the point of the matter is this man's divine power flowing through him to change all of our lives is because of a friendship. Each and every one of us need miraculous friendships in our life. God wants to send divine relationships into your life. Years ago, Jamie and I were young adult pastors in Arlington, and, and this young lady named Missy started coming to our young adult service, and man, we were really moving, supernatural things, miracles were happening, and I'll never forget when Missy walked up to me afterwards, I didn't know who she was, and she said, uh, she said wow, this, this, time, I, 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 this is unbelievable what God's doing amongst young adults. Who, who thought 19, 20, 22-year-olds, 24-year-olds could be on fire for God and they're not out having sex and doing drugs and they're just loving Jesus and laying hands on blind people and they're being able to see and just miraculous. She said, this is phenomenal. I said, yeah. I said, listen, I want to connect you with a small group. You need some more friends in there. So I started connecting with her. And Ms. Jamie and I just, you know, just befriended her, if you will. It wasn't a couple months later, I get this call from Christ for the Nations. And they said, hey, listen, would you consider being the president of our Bible school? I said, I'm sorry? What are you talking about? Yeah, we really feel like you're the one to take over. I'm like, you don't even know me. I said, oh, no, no, no. Missy, who's the president's daughter, has been coming to your young adult thing, and you've been her friend, and she says you're the one to have this position. I'm like, I didn't even know that was her. I didn't know she, what, Missy? I wish I'd have known. I'd have kissed up a little better. No. The point being is that God puts friendships into your life that will be there for you when you go through adversity. God has got to have you have some miraculous friends that'll be through there, be there for you in the tough times, in the good times, at all times. A brother, a friend for all times in your life. A brother that was born, given life. So when you go through that horrible thing that none of us want to go through, that there's somebody standing there beside you saying, you can do this. Don't give up on Jesus. Come on. We went through something worse than this years ago. I got your back. We can go through this together. And it doesn't matter if you're a Rottweiler type of personality. It doesn't matter if you're a Labrador type of personality. God wants you to have miraculous friendships. But as Americans, what do we do? We say, oh, I'm okay. Praise the Lord. All I need is me and my, my family and my children. I can just read the Bible. I can watch Daystar. I can get on this app and play, do this and Bible, blah, blah, blah. You don't. That's, that's not how he set up the kingdom. He set, up, he set us up to need one another. He set us up 
to engage with one another. In fact, I'm convinced that one of the key ways God brings miracles into our lives is through relational lines. That's the key way. It's happened for me over and over and over again. So if you would, I'd like to give you a couple truths that I've learned over the years through the Holy Scriptures about miraculous friendships. Can I help you with that? Say yes. Can I give you a little something that'll help you say yes? All right, write this down. Number one, the first big truth that I've learned, and that is friendless people are missing out on miracles. Friendless people are missing out on miracles. What was our key scripture? Our key scripture says a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. There's another passage in Ecclesiastes that says, if you don't have a friend, then who's there to help you up when you fall down? You're missing out on miracles that could come your way because you're friendless. You're missing out on what God has planned. In fact, the Harvard Medical School did a study, and they found that people without friends had a decline in their critical thinking ability. That study continued on, and they figured out that people who have strong social bonds, if they don't have strong social bonds, then they're more likely to experience health problems. See, our connection to each other as the body of Christ, it actually helps us in critical thinking. Our connection with godly friends actually causes us to be stronger in our physical body. God created us to connect with each other. We were supposed to be together. God made us to have those type of relationships. In fact, when my family and I, when we first became Christian, you know, Pop and me, me and myself, we got saved and we were going to a denominational type church and, and uh, we, we, were, we were wicked and we got radically saved, started going to a denominational church and within a matter of months, all the things that we had feared about church began to happen. Gossip, slander, backbiting, church splits. And we were just beginning, we were frustrated. And we were like, this, this, this is not why we stopped drinking and smoking and doing drugs and living the way we were living to have this kind of life. Like we love God, but man, we don't like the church. Anybody ever said that before? And, and we're just like, this can't be right. And I got a new kid on my, on my baseball team. And I'll never forget that first game in the stands. All of a sudden I hear Pop go, buzz! And he starts yelling and high-fiving some old friend. He's, and it ended up being the new kid on my baseball team's dad. And after, after, you know, the baseball game, we stand there and we talk and talk and talk. And, and, and dad tells him, so, you know, we, we became Christian. Buzz says, so have I. And then Buzz goes into this conversation. Now, obviously, they were old friends. Pop knew him from back in the day. In fact, Pop said, you know, we rode Harleys together. We smoked dope together. I guess that's why his name is Buzz. And, you know, he just like this is. A, and, and, and so Pop started telling about how we became Christians. And Buzz says, I have too. And, he, and Buzz starts telling us the story. I'll never forget, standing there, all, they're turning all the lights off in the parking lot, you know, after baseball game, Little League, and we we're sitting there, you know, Friday night at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, and Buster's are saying, yep, my wife became a Christian a few months back. He said she started going to church every day. I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. He said, honestly, I was convinced that she was having an affair with the preacher. And I'd get mad at her. I was like, you ain't going there. Why you got to go three times a week? I can't believe that. You mess around with that preacher. She said, no, I'm not. He said, we get in fights. He said, one day we got in a horrible fight. And she looked at me and she said, I've been praying and God told me he's going to give me a new husband. And he said, I'll kill him. Let him show up in my house. See if I don't kill your new husband. One day he came home from work. They got in a knockdown, drag out fight. And he went back outside in his little shed. He had a little shop in the back where he worked on stuff. And he was standing there. All of a sudden, he had an outer body experience. He said he was taken out of his body and he's standing, he's, he's stand, kneeling, excuse me, at the foot of the cross. And there's Jesus and he's looking up and Jesus is looking at him, breathing his last breath. And he said, and all of a sudden he hears him say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. 
And he says, as soon as he says that, a drop of blood falls down off of Jesus' fingertips and hits, hits me right in the forehead. He said, and all I know is all of a sudden I came back in my body, in my shed, and I'm speaking some language that I don't know. And he just said, I go running in and tell my wife, I just, I just saw Jesus. I just saw Jesus. And she's like, I told you about smoking dope again. I told you that if you got on those drugs, I'd leave you again. He goes, no, I'm telling you, Jesus, I just saw it. I didn't know. I didn't know, God. I'm so sorry. Next day after work, he said he came right back into his shop. And he threw his hands up, and he started speaking in that language. And all of a sudden, again, he was in the lap of Jesus this time. And he was in heaven. He could tell it was heaven. And he's sitting on the throne with him. And Jesus said, go look out that window. And he looked out, and he could see wheat. He says, what do you see? I see beautiful wheat. He said, look again. And it was rotting. It was rotting. It wasn't getting taken. It wasn't getting harvested in time. He said, it's going bad. And Jesus said, that's right. I need you to help go get it. He said, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. And came back in his body. He's like, it's unbelievable. He goes, tells his wife, I'm having these experiences with Jesus. Now, he's telling us, good denominational people, this story in the parking lot, in the dark, in Louisiana, in June with mosquitoes sucking the blood out of all of us. And I'm like, I'm looking at dad like, I'm telling you, he is, he's been token. I'm going to tell you, I ain't never heard nothing like that. We didn't believe in any of that. We believe the Bible, read the Bible, go to church, live for God. Know about the Holy Spirit stuff and power and engaging with God. He don't do that. That's weird. People do that. Those people are crazy. Well, a couple weeks later, mom and dad got one of those Christian arguments that Christian couples don't have. And, uh, and so Pop peeled out, left. And so, uh, and so Pop says that he went and found Buzz, and they were having small group. Found, went to his house, found him. They were having small group. He said, Buzz, and all these guys looked around and said, Mike, you know what your problem is? You're trying to serve God in your own strength. You don't have any power to stop sinning, cussing, doing whatever. You're just trying to be a good person, go to church, and what you need is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we have. That's what the Bible teaches, showed him in the book of Acts, where God said, I'll pour out my spirit, he, where he says, listen, go and wait for the, for the gift of God, quoting Joel 2 about pouring out his spirit. And, uh, and Pop said, okay, I don't know what I need. I just need something. So they laid hands on him. Pop began, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Power of God came on him, started moving. And he came, I'll never forget, he came, in, he came home, middle of the night, he'd been out there with him for all these hours, got us out of bed, got down on his knees, weeping, telling me, me and I that he was so sorry. We're like, who is this guy? He never said he was sorry. Power of God. Here we are today. We've seen blind eyes open. We've seen supernatural things on a daily basis in our lives. They went to the mission field all because of Buzz Treme. That friendship doesn't happen. I'm not your pastor today. That friendship doesn't happen. We don't see miracles today. Divine friendships. God wants you to have divine friendships, but most of us are intimidated of them. We've been burned. We've been hurt. So I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. I'm telling you, friendless people miss out on miracles that God has for them. Friendless people that you miss, you're missing out. You say, well, you know, that last church I went to, they did this and they did that. And I just, you know, I'm barely even paying attention. I just online just so, so I don't have to go talk to people. Friend, can I tell you something? You're missing out on the miracles that God has planned for you. Here's the second thing I want to teach you. The second big truth about miraculous friendships, and that is Jesus ordained eclectic friendships. I know you need to Google that, right? Eclectic. Jesus himself ordained eclectic relationships. In other words, 
You don't need friends that look just like you or act just like you or vote just like you or came from the same place you came from, have the same skin tone you came from. That's the problem. That's the problem in the world today is that we want to just circle up all the penguins with the penguins and we want to circle up, you know, all the horses with the horses. No, no, no. God ordained himself that we would have eclectic relationships that don't look like us, that don't act like us, don't vote like us. Come on, somebody. They don't always. He, Jesus said, well, I don't know if I believe it. Well, let me prove it to you. When Jesus put his friendship circle together, the 12 apostles or the disciples, if you will. Let me just take you through who he picked. Let me just tell you who they were. First and foremost, four or five of them were fishermen. So I want you to think about that. Fishermen. These dudes are rough and raw. They work all into the night. These jokers cuss like sailors. They are rough. They don't, they don't go to church. And Jesus said, I'll take you, 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 and you. Leave your junk behind and come follow me. And so they were like, blank, yeah, let's go. They're blue collar. They're, they're hard nose. Come on. Have you ever known any professional fishermen? They, 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 look, if they, if they don't, they got all kinds of superstitions, you know, spit on the bait. You'll catch them. You know, they got all, this is who they are. That was four or five of them. Then he had a couple of them that owned their own businesses. They were probably, you know, house builders or plumbers or whatever. They were, they had their own small little businesses. What do you think about a small business owner, what they're like? I mean, listen, they got to do everything. So they don't put up with nothing. Like you're all lazy. You bunch of lazy folks. Get a small business. You'll learn what it is to really work. You got that personality going forward, okay? Then, then he added to that a guy by the name of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, a tax collector. Now, I know that doesn't mean anything to you, but let me put you in perspective, bring you to biblical times. Tax collectors were Jews who worked for the Romans, who taxed the Jews, and the tax collectors were Jews who went and got the money from the Jews and got more than they should and fattened their pockets. In fact, these tax collectors were so hated that they would not receive their tithe at church. If a tax collector walked in and said, I want to give a million dollar check in the synagogue, they're like, we will not take it. You are wicked. We hate you. That's, and Jesus says, I'll take a tax collector put him in the midst of these dudes who are a bunch of blue collar guys who can break your neck with their hand. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they sand their hand is sandpaper. They like, they do their own, you know, sanding with their own hand. I mean, who can just crush you, you know, just crush you. These, these big dude fishermen dudes and you, and then they're, they're manly men. They got hair growing on top of their hair. I mean, you got that. And then you got the little white collar Matthew, you know, and he's like, you know, well, I tell you right now that, that doesn't add up. I promise you right now. And my cubicle's got a few things in here that needs to be cleaned up. And then you, he not just stopped with Matthew, then he picked Simon. Simon was a zealot. Simon was a part of the group who said the government is horrible and needs to be thrown down. In fact, these zealots were constantly killing people. They were constantly, literally, they were assassinated. They were assassins, Assassin's Creed. Zealots, this is who Simon was. He was Antifa. This is Antifa. So Jesus said, let me take some fishermen. Let me get a tax collector who everybody hates. And then let me get the opposite of the tax collector who everybody hates. And let me get the Antifa guy who everybody kind of wishes that they would succeed. But everybody know what they're doing is wrong. So let me put all them together. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to add Judas into this whole thing. Uh, yeah, that is not the perfect peaceful team. That is a group of people who you have created an opportunity for murder. This is eclectic. This is crazy. In fact, all of these guys are under 20 except for Peter. He's the only one married at the time, and they're all teenagers. And he puts them all in a group. In fact, the Bible says that in three years of working with all these guys, he's like, ah, 
How long do I have to put up with you? You guys are so mean to each other. You are such suckers. Why don't you do what I tell you to do? Why? Because he put all of this together so you and I can learn that we were never meant to have relationships that are exactly like us. We're supposed to have eclectic relationships. You're supposed to have people that don't vote the way you vote, that you're friends with. You're supposed to have people who don't see it the way you see it. You're supposed to be in relationship with folks who actually love you, not because you give them something, because they love you because they just don't even know why. You're supposed to be in eclectic friendships and relationships. They'll make you better. They'll make you stronger. They'll help you grow in the things of God. They'll teach you and help you because we all need to be like people that we're not like now. Come on, you there? Say yes. See, the entire Bible is broke down into these two things. You need to understand how to be in relationship with Jesus and how to be in relationship with each other. That's why the Bible's constantly telling us, constantly, forgive your brother. Let go of your brothers. Uh, be nice to your brother. Go back around and repent to your brother because you, you sinned against him. Why is he telling us that? Because it's critical that we have these miraculous relationships. We've got to have these friendships. In fact, Apostle Paul gets so frustrated at one point, he says, hey, those two ladies who keep being jerks to each other and don't like each other, tell them, I'm coming. I'm coming to church this weekend, and I'm going to whoop them all. How dare them gossip and talk bad about each other? That ain't the church. We're not going to be like that. You see, that's in the scriptures. You just thought the other church was bad. Or you thought coming here, for, you're like, man, they was mean to me. Well, welcome to the New Testament church. We're all trying to figure out how to be in relationship with each other. We're all trying to learn how to grow and mature in the things of God. In fact, if I could help you a little bit, there are four stages in relationships. Write these down. They'll set you free. Four stages in all relationships. The first stage is what we call the honeymoon stage. Any newlyweds in the room? Any newlyweds? Yeah, yeah. look, look. You heard them? There you go. Newlyweds, honeymoon. Anybody married over 30 years? Exactly. You didn't hear nothing, did you? Right. All the newlyweds were like, yes! Yes! That's because they're still in honeymoon stage. Oh, but coming after honeymoon stage... Is what we call the conflict stage. Conflict stage. Where you're like, you did what? You spent how much? Have you lost your ever living mind? The conflict stage. So here's, here's the problem. Most of you are so enjoy the honeymoon stage that you never ever even get into the conflict stage. Because the moment conflict stage happens, you divorce that church and you go to the next church. You divorce that relationship and you go to the next relationship. Why? Because it's addicted to being in the honeymoon stage, but it's not real. It's not real. It won't last. Because you just run around from excitement to excitement to new to new to new. And guess what? New wears off. New wears off. And then you have to do a, you have to do something. You have to make a choice. Will I love you or will I not love you? And the only reason why I have the friends that I have is because I embrace conflict stage. Because I said, you know what? We're going to have conflict. That's just a part of life. And I'm going to love you even though I don't like you right now. Even though I want to stab you. And you have done me dirty. You have dirty but I'm going to love you because I want to be with you. That's the problem that we have right now. Well, the racism is fact. It comes down to this one. Do you love me? Because if you love me, fight for me. Even if you don't agree with me, fight for me. I'm going to fight for you. That's what it comes down. That's scripture. That's the Bible. And you and I, the moment we get in conflict, like, uh-huh, see there? See there? You don't agree with me. Right. My wife don't agree with me on half the stuff we do. In fact, I mean, she's my best friend. I love her. Billy Graham's wife said it like this. Where two always agree, one's not needed. You need, the Bible says this, iron sharpeneth iron. Well, it's not the same exact piece of iron. This one's got a little bit more grit over here, and this one's got a little bit more grit on that. That's the only way it'll sand off that stuff. Is you and I need to be in relationships that aren't easy. Why? Because it's only then 
do we begin to grow into the things that God's want, want, the person God wants us to become. You and I need to get past conflict stage, or excuse me, even get into conflict stage. Stop running from it. God has put people in your life that you're in conflict right now. Fight through it. Not fight with it, fight through it. Not fight with it, fight through it. Because if you can ever fight through conflict stage, and most people I know don't have these type of friendships, but if you ever fight through conflict stage, it'll give you stage three. And stage three is what we call the bonding stage, where you're, you got bonding. We got each other's back. Remember that last time we went through that? Shoot, I thought I was going to kill you. Yeah, boy, but like, boy, you was good to me on that day. Yeah, remember how I was good to you on that other? Yep, that's right. You and I have to embrace that conflict is real. It's going to happen. Most of the Bible is teaching us how to go through conflict with God and with each other. It's not written in there for somebody else. It's written in there for us. It's written in there for you. It's written in there for me. How do I go through conflict with my brother? How do I go through conflict with my sister? How do we get past this so we can bond? And once you get in the bonding stage, I'm telling you, you don't, that's when you become a click and you got to be careful because then you don't want anybody else. That's why some of you are like, you know, some of you are like that blue healer. Like I finally bonded with somebody. I ain't doing it again with nobody else. This junk is too hard. No, it's not. You were made to have more relationships than that one person. And then you got all jealous if they get friends with anybody else. And you become hovering and, and creepy and uh, you're just creepy. You're just creeper. You know, anybody else can be their friend. You and I can fight through conflict, get to bonding. And then there's the fourth stage. And I know very few people like this that have the type of friendships that will move from bonding stage to actually production stage. See, when we're so close and we got each other's back so much and we understand each other, and we've been through some things and we've, we've, we've forgiven when, 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 when we didn't feel like we should have had to and we, we've been hurt when we shouldn't have been hurt, but we still said, I'm gonna love you anyway. And we walked through that and we came through that. Then we bonded through that whole thing and now we got each other's back. Once we get into bonding stage, then and only then can we move into productivity stage. And this is the reason why sports teams win or lose. They're either productive or they're not because they've fought through those things and misunderstandings and who got the position and who didn't get the position and why I ain't starting, why you start. And they just said, we want to win together and I don't care what we got to do to win together. And that's Church on the Hill. We're going to win together. We're going to bond together. We're going to go through conflict together and we're going to enjoy all you new people with this honeymoon. Like, this is the greatest church ever. Keep coming. You won't like us next month, but that's okay. We'll fight through that and we'll get through it. And we'll bond and we'll get through it, the misunderstandings and the hurtfulness and our humanity. Why do we have conflict stage? Because we're human. Because we're human, because you have good days and bad days. And your good days are not always my good days. And your bad days messes up my good days. Because we're human and we make mistakes with each other. Isn't that true? Say yes. So here's a third big truth that I want you to get today, and that is this. Miraculous friendships should draw you deeper into God. Miraculous friendships should draw you deeper into God. So I'm just not growing in God. Hmm. I wonder what that could be. In fact, the Apostle Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15 and verse 33. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. Let me tell you what's happening. What this is a response to. The Corinthian church, Paul had birthed it and, 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 and it was powerful and it was supernatural what God was doing in Corinth. Well, then, of course, he went on to plant other churches so he's not there all the time. So he... So he gets word that a bunch of them, the leaders of the church, have stopped believing in a heaven or a hell. He's like, what? What are you talking about? In fact, there had been new people came into the church that they had befriended. New people who, quote, were theologians and knew some stuff and had convinced them that there is no afterlife, that we live, eat, drink, die, and that's it. And Paul loses his mind. 
He said, are you out of your ever-living mind? Paraphrase Adam King version. He said, if there is no heaven and hell, if there is no, if there's no afterlife, then why am I putting myself out there and they're beating me and trying to kill me? If there's no afterlife, why are we baptizing people? Why are people making commitments to Christ? It don't matter. Then we should just eat, drink, and be merry because there's nothing after this whole thing. He said, come back to your senses. Whoever's told that to you, whatever friend you have made that has lied to you and manipulated you into believing this, they're wrong. Bad company corrupts good character. Look, bro, the reason why she keeps telling you, hey, I don't think you should go out with your friends on Friday night because she knows good and well you're going to go smoke dope again. You're talking about you're trying to be a good husband, trying to follow Jesus. She knows good and well. And so she's telling you, listen, you keep doing all this and you're going to find that you don't have me no more. The reason why she's doing that because she understands bad company corrupts good character. Though you may think you want to do right with God, though you think you may want to be close with Jesus, if you've got all these friend circles that draw you away from God, they will ultimately destroy you. And he's saying, stop it. Come to your senses. Stop sinning. Wake up. Are you out of your ever living mind? There's a friendship with those in the world that the Bible says that leads to death. You and I, I have friends that are not Christians. I have friends that, I mean, we don't think the same about sexuality. We don't think this, we don't agree on this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, they're my friend because I want them to know the love of Christ. They're not the kind of friend that empower, that influences me on my belief system and gets me into bad character, if you will. And he's warning them of this. See, there should be the kind of friends that help you grow in God. Are you growing in God? Have you grown in any season? In the last, excuse me, last couple of seasons, yesterday I had the privilege of attending the homegoing, uh, homegoing celebration of Dr. John Holler, phenomenal man of God. There was 2,000 people in the room. 2,000 people on a Saturday in a room to celebrate a man who passed away. He didn't have a big mega ministry. You didn't know about his radio broadcast or his television program or his podcast. Every one of these 2,000 people said the same thing, though. This man made me a better Christian. He'd sit with me and challenge me to love God better. He would correct me when I had crazy thoughts in my head about who God was. This man made me a better Christian. Every one of them thought they were his best friend. It was crazy. In fact, afterwards, I was able to be with the family, and his actual best friend, who he called his best friend, another minister, began to tell me about the last few weeks of his life and how the best friend and his wife moved in with Dr. Holler and his wife to help care for him. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, he ne they needed help. So we put our ministry on hold. And we went and lived with him for a couple of weeks, helping him getting out of bed, helping him physically. He couldn't get up. He couldn't go to things. I said, wow. I said, you guys are really close. He said, yeah. He said, but I'll tell you what, he drove me insane. I said, I'm sorry? He said, oh, yeah, we were always fighting. I was like, you fighting? I thought you were best friends. He goes, what are you talking about? Best friends fight. I said, like, fist fight? He goes, no. Nah. I wanted to hit him a couple times, but we didn't. He said, but we always arguing, disagreeing. He said, I didn't, I didn't agree with half his doctrine. I thought he's crazy. He's my best friend, though. He was there for me when no one else was, and I was there for him when no one else was. And he was there for me in the good times when everybody was trying to be my friend, but none of them were really true friends. And then I was there for him when everybody, he goes, and here I am. There is a brother that is born for adversity. God wants to give you miraculous friendships, but you're so busy being bitter about the last ones that didn't work out that you can't receive the ones that God's trying to give you now. In fact, if you and I could get this revelation that most 
of the miraculous things that are going to happen in your life are going to come through relational lines. Honestly, jobs that you need, supernatural breakthrough, opportunities, things like one of my best buddies named Brad, Brad Turner, biggest, coolest African-American dude you could ever meet. In high school, he was my best friend. Brad was just, I mean, he was so good looking, made me so mad. He was the epitome of tall, dark, and handsome. I mean, just he's that. And I'm short, fat, and white. I mean, it just made me so mad. All the girls were in love with him. And I had this issue in those days. I was intimidated to go up to people and tell them the truth about their eternity if they did not turn to Jesus. Brad wasn't like that. Brad wasn't scared of anybody. If it wasn't for Brad being my friend, I think that fear would have dominated me. And again, I wouldn't be your pastor today. Brad helped me with that. I'd stay at his house, his apartment in the hood. Only white guy. He'd always say, man, look, don't go out right now, okay? You stay right here. Like, yes, sir. He was my buddy. He's my friend. He taught me things. I taught him things. We strengthened each other. The Bible says, how sad for a man to have no friend. And when he falls down, there's no one there to help pick him up. You and I need these miraculous friendships. Stop pushing them away. Stop giving off the sense that you don't want anybody to be in your life. In fact, if I could encourage you, this church is built on this principle in Scripture. The reason why we don't offer all these ministries for you. Oh, there's a, if you were hurt in a car accident ministry. Or a single moms over 80 ministry. Or a, the reason why we don't offer all of that is because we don't need to create a bunch of ministries for you. We need to get you in friendship with other believers because it's in those friendships that all of your needs will have access to his miracles through those relational lines. I'm telling you what I know. Today, I want you to know this. You were made to have friendships. Hey guys, wasn't that a great word today? You know, I'm so thankful that the word isn't limited to a Sunday morning at a certain time or the four walls of the church building, but it can go through whatever time you may be watching this, wherever venue you might be at. The word of God can minister to you no matter where you are. You know, if you're interested in partnering with what Church on the Hill is doing, not only locally, but globally, you say, I really want to invest with that, with Church on the Hill in advancing kingdom business. And you can do so by partnering with us by sending a donation to PO Box 3815, Cedar Hill, Texas, 75106. Hey guys, we love you. We look forward to seeing you again.